Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. For the day, we are going to jump into this message today, into the AHA experience. Uh, But before we do, I'd like to begin with prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for this day. Thank you for a a, a beautiful day, and not necessarily because of the weather, and um, uh, but because it's it's full of grace and your mercy and your love for us today. We're we're so thankful to be able to gather together as a family. Lord, thank you for providing this house for us. Uh, Lord, I pray for every heart in this place that would be prepared to receive and hear and respond to your word today. And Lord, I, sp- I pray a special, a special prayer, Lord, for all those that are brokenhearted and crying their eyes out over the Buckeyes today. Lord, be with them. Be close to them. Heal Braxton Miller. Strengthen our offense and our defense. And the whole congregation, when I say O-H, says amen. 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 God bless the Buckeyes. God bless the Buckeyes. All right. Well, good morning again. So we're jumping into AHA. Now, if you don't know what AHA is, AHA is a very popular phrase that you hear around the business world. Any of you guys in corporate America out there ever heard the word AHA? It's like this moment. It's this awakening, right? It's a realization like, oh, there's the AHA. That's what they call it. They, they talk about it in that way. But, but the AHA, if you've never heard this before, let me define it for you. It is a sudden understanding a recognition or resolution. So, you know, over the years, I've had aha experiences in my life, and I've sat with a lot of people. A lot of you are in church today or in relationship with Jesus today because of an aha moment. You had this sudden awakening, right? A realization of something. You got honest with yourself, and you responded to it by, by praying the prayer and then continuing to walk with Jesus, right? That, that's what I see that happen all the time. And it's not just that initial conversion to Christianity. It's also in our regular lives. You know, we realize, hey, maybe I shouldn't speak to my wife or my children that way. Or, or hey, maybe I shouldn't be stealing things from the office. Or, you know, we kind of have these moments. I don't know what it is, what it is for you. But we all have these aha moments. They can be small. They can be big. But they always make changes in our lives, right? They, they shift the way that we are. Um, for, for me, uh, the, the aha moments, uh, there's, there's three elements that, are, that are always come together. Uh, when, when an aha moment happens. And those, those three ingredients uh, together produce aha, and they are a sudden awakening, brutal honesty, and immediate action. So I'll say them again. A sudden awakening, brutal honesty, and immediate action. Okay? And so, so for me, I had one of these uh, in particular. I've shared about this before. I won't go into the full story. Uh, but when I was in Panama on a missions trip, and I had an aha moment. See, we, we live here in Columbus, Ohio, or you live in the area. You, you think you know what poverty is. You think it's the guy, the one guy sitting on the street corner with a sign. You think it's the, maybe, maybe the uh, tent community, you know, of, a, of, of how many displaced people, they're, they're homeless and they live in their tents. I hear there's, there's, there's a community behind Target. We know that there's some downtown. And, and we've got, by and large, like comparatively, we've got a small handful of people that live this way. But when I was in Panama, it was everybody. Everybody lived that way. The entire community that we went to serve in Cologne, Panama, 
uh, I believe that the, the translated name was Little Italy. It was just strange. It was Little Italy in the middle of Cologne, Panama. They all lived that way. They all lived and slept on dirt floors. Their homes were probably, I don't know, not, not very big, maybe just this section of stage right here. And it was a home was any kind of metal that they could find from a scrapyard, and they would lean against a tree, and then they would thatch it all together with cords. The way they got their water was they put a big bucket up on top of their house, like a 10-gallon like drum, up on the top of the house, and when it rained, because it rains almost every day in Panama, that would fill that bucket, and that's the water that they drank was rainwater. That's what they cooked with. That's what they bathed with. That's how they lived. No indoor plumbing. Couldn't afford it. No electricity unless they spliced it. Man, you, you can see, we, we were building a church down there, and we spliced into the electricity, and some of us nearly died who were doing it. I was just watching, videoing. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But, but, but as we were hooking into the electricity, there's just electrical boxes there, and there's no electrician. You just have to know how to do it and not die if you want electricity. Otherwise, you just, you know, you went to your buddy's house who did. And they lived in such poverty. They maybe ate once a day. When we were done with our plates, we would take them to the kitchen because we were the missionaries. They took really good care of us. We came in and we would take our plates into the kitchen. And as you walked by later, you would see some of the people from the, from the area were eating off of our plates. They were finishing the, the unfinished or, or tearing off the meat from the chicken bones. You know, they give us little chicken wings and we'd eat them. If you left anything on there, they would, they would eat that. Or if there was some coleslaw or anything and you're shuddering in your mind, you're like, yeah, no way. There's no way I would do that. Ah, oh, but you don't live like they do. That's poverty. And it was from that moment on that I realized there's scriptures in the Bible that talk about the rich man. The rich man that needs to weep and cry aloud because we've got so much stuff. And we consider it our God. And I realized, man, I'm that rich man. Compared to the rest of the world, see, we live in this space where this is common. It's common to have a car. If you are married or, and, and you probably have a house or, or an apartment or a space of your own that, is, that is, has air conditioning in it, you possibly have two cars to your name and maybe a, bike, a motorcycle, right? Th- these guys have nothing. And we are so rich and so wealthy that I walked away from Panama with that, that sudden awakening, like, oh, my goodness. Oh my goodness, I am that rich man. And I got brutally honest with myself. And I said, I have so much stuff that I need, to, I need to eliminate some of this. And so I came home and I sold some of my belongings. And you'll see I continue to push my belongings out to Amazon and eBay. Things that I just don't use and I don't need that I've just gathered. And I sold it and I said, Lord, you help me sell all this and I'll, I'll give it away. Every penny of it to a charity or to an organization to help people. And God's been faithful to help me do that. And I've lived my life that way since I came back from Panama. Why? Because I had an aha moment. I had a moment where I woke up and realized this is not right. And there was a shift in me. And so for all of you, you, you all have had aha moments in your life, be it big or small. Uh, it, 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 it has happened to you. And so turning back to the scriptures, if you look at the scriptures, there are tons of aha moments for the characters throughout the Bible. But one of the most prominent ones is with the prodigal son. And uh, it, this is one of the most popular uh, parables that Jesus told, and so I'm sure you're familiar with the story. Uh, if you're not, here's the, here's the story in a nutshell. A son leaves home, goes and lives wi- wildly, and uh, winds up saying, hey, it was better da- back at my dad's house, and he comes home, and the dad receives him. That, that's the, the crux of the story, and we'll dive into it over the next couple weeks. You'll get the full story. you just got to come back for more. That's all I'm saying. Here's my pitch. All right, so, so if you look at those scriptures, you'll find in, in that story in particular, there's that sudden awakening 
brutal honesty and immediate action, okay? And we see that with the prodigal son. And, uh, and, and being familiar with that story, I think this is the greatest one to represent uh, the aha moment, okay? And my prayer is by the end of this series that each of us will have an aha story to tell about how God changed your life. But before we get there, we need to start at the beginning, right? Because the, the beginning is important. Why? Well, because the beginning, it, the story has to start somewhere. So, so let's do this. There has to be a once upon a time. So let's, let's play a little game. I'm going to read you the beginning of some stories, and I would like to, you to tell me uh, if you recognize the, the story, just shout it out. Okay, so here we go. This one's kind of a gimme. Here we go. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah, we were there last week, right? We played last week. All right, here we go. Um, this one you, you may not know. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four, Privet Drive, were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. Harry Potter, we heard it over here. Yes, that is correct. That's the beginning of that story, the Sorcerer's Stone. All right, now this one, if you don't get it, look, I'm just going to keep on reading. I have like a paragraph and a half, and I would be happy to read this. Okay, so here we go. Just shout it out when you know it. In the beginning, the forging of the great rings, there were given... Yeah, daggone, you guys! First service, they didn't let me get like very far at all. I had like a voice prepared and everything. It's going to be epic. It's fine, haters. All right. So the beginnings of stories are important because they set the stage, right? They tell about what life was like before the story. And the beginning of the story often says a lot about the end of that story, right? But sometimes once we start talking about the aha moment in the story or how everything shifts, we kind of forget about the beginning of the story. And a story can become so defined by, by that moment or by the action later on in the story that we kind of forget how everything began. And so why is the beginning so important? Because the beginning tells the story, that's where it starts. Like, think of a rags-to-riches story that you know, minus the rags. Hey, I just got a story about riches I'm going to tell you. What? That's not really interesting, is it? That's, that's not a story. That's just a, hey, I've, I've been rich, and I'm staying rich, and uh, I'm going to die rich. Interesting story. Thanks for sharing that, Chauncey. I appreciate that. All right, so, so we need to spend some time at the beginning of this story. We're going to be in Luke 15. And uh, because it sets the stage and tells us what life was like before the story took place. And uh, maybe it even gives us a little bit of a hint about the end of the story. So if you need a Bible today, if you don't own a Bible and you would like one, we would love to give you a Bible. If you just put your hand in the air, a service host will get you a Bible. Uh, but we're, we're also, uh, we'll have the slides. Yep, there it is. Okay. We will have them up on the screen. So anytime we read a verse, um, but we'll be in Luke 15 today. And the verse starts like this. Jesus continued. Now, when you read the Bible, you need to read the Bible. You need to understand what's happening, okay? Jesus was already talking to a bunch of people, and he started to tell a story, all right? That's why it says Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So where does this story begin? Look. Mm-hmm. Where are they? At home. That's where the story begins. It's at home. The father and his two homes have a home together. The father and his two sons, excuse me, have a home together. <laughs> they live together. They have this estate together. They work together. The father is obviously not poor if he has uh, enough wealth for the younger son to want it. And they have a good life. You know, if you read the end of this story, we see that the father has livestock and we see that he has servants. So being at home, it's a good place to be. Right? It's a good place to be. But there's something in the younger son that wants to leave home. Uh, no matter how good he has it at home, no matter how much he is provided for, no matter how much his family loves him, he still wants to leave. And when the son asks his father for his share of the estate, do you guys know what an estate is? 
You ever heard of estate planning? Estate planning is like, hey, this is what's going to happen to my stuff when I die. Okay? So the son is coming to his father who is alive and is asking him for his stuff now. What an insult. Do you know what this says? I wish you were dead because I want your stuff that you're going to give me when you die. Now, culturally, this would have been like a really, really gutsy move to make. Because to say this and wish your father dead would have been like you're in a culture where beating your kid, and I don't mean like spanking, I mean like literally beating and chasing your son away would have been okay. Uh, there's, there was a, a doctor, uh, Dr. Kenneth Bailey, who lived in the Middle East for many years, and he said he'd only heard of this happening twice. In the first instance, that's exactly what happened. The son came and said, give me my portion of the estate. And the father beat him and chased him away. And the second time that he saw it happen, the father, who was in perfect health, died a few months later. And so the son is obviously immoral, rude, and selfish. He's become so obsessed in doing what he wants, when he wants, that he treats his own father with the utmost of disrespect. The request probably started off as something that came out of a little uh, selfishness. He probably didn't intend to break his dad's heart. He probably never meant to destroy his relationship with his whole family, because that's what he did. But what started as a little selfish ambition to make his own way without anyone looking over his shoulder ended up costing more than he ever imagined. And it's easy for us to to be on this side of the story and think that the younger son is crazy for wanting to leave home, right? Like, wow, you had servants, you had livestock, you had a place, obviously a lot of money. Why would you want to leave home? But but my guess is, is that if we're all really honest in here, that we've all left home at one point in time. Now, I don't mean like when you grew up, you left home. Congratulations, that's a healthy thing to do, okay? To grow up and, and not live with mom and dad. I mean, if you live with mom and dad, that's fine, but I'm just saying it's a healthy thing to move on, have your own place and do your own thing. But I don't, I don't just mean leaving home like that. I mean, like, like in this story, you need to understand where the father is. This is, this is just a parable, right? The father is, is our heavenly father. And home is, is being with him. It's, it's his way of doing things. And so the story is more than just fictional. In this parable, the younger son leaves home because he is leaving God in the dust. That's what's happening here. He's leaving God in the dust. So, so what is it that makes us want to leave home? What makes us want to live apart from God? What is it that drives us to leave a good father who has always provided for us just to do it on our own way? Oh, were you here first service? Instant gratification. Well, he said it, throw it up there. That's, my fr- that's the first thing that does it. That's the first thing that does it. Is that I want it now idea. That instant gratification. One of the reasons we leave the Father's house is because of this. We're not good at waiting. We're used to instant messaging, instant downloads, instant popcorn, instant soup, instant GPS. But a lot of our Christian experience a lot of living in the Father's house is more about delayed gratification. We are saved, but we still live in a world filled with sin. So we wait. We have the hope of heaven, but we're not there yet. So we wait. We've been promised that all things will work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose, but it sure doesn't seem to be happening. So we wait. And after waiting a while, it's easy to get sick of it and think, I want it now. I'm done waiting on your plan. I'm done waiting on your purpose. I want it now. So we leave the Father's house looking for something that we think we should have right away. It's instant gratification. 
The second reason we leave the Father's house is the attitude of, I deserve it. It's that sense of entitlement, right? Like, hey, I've been doing this your way long enough. I've been faithful to, to how you've wanted it to do long enough. I deserve a break. I've been good long enough. Now I deserve some real fun. I've been patient long enough. Now I deserve some fulfillment. I've done it God's way long enough. Now I deserve to do some things my way. But what this mentality forgets is one of the core aspects of living our life as a Christian. And that is grace. See, grace is getting something that we don't deserve. And what, where mercy is not getting what we do deserve, right? So by grace, if we just take that word grace out, it's getting what we don't deserve. So let me, let me read Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, that explains it carefully. And when you see the word grace, I'm going to remove it and say, getting what we don't deserve. For it is by getting what we don't deserve that you have been saved through faith. And if this is not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Look, a gift by its very nature is not something you earn. It's just not. You can't do anything for it. You need to just be, do what? Be in relationship with somebody? Spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, mom, dad. They give you gifts. Sometimes it's expected on your birthday, and then there's the unexpected ones where somebody surprises you with a gift, but you didn't earn that gift. You didn't pay for that gift. You can't do anything to get that gift. And that grace that we receive from God has been given to us as a gift. And it's not by works so that no one can boast. We don't deserve any of the good things God offers us, but he offers them freely. It's not about doing good things for a long enough time that we earn the right to leave the Father's house. It's about accepting God's gift of grace that we don't deserve in the first place. The third reason we leave the Father's house is because we say, I can do it better on my own. We have this bitterness. The third common attitude of this bitterness, I want you to think about this. Have you ever, ever worked in a place where you say, with somebody, and you look at what they're doing and you say, I can do it better? We kind of see this attitude in the, in the prodigal son. We see that in him. He's saying, I can do this better. I want what you're going to give me later now because I can do it better. There is a better life for me somewhere else. Right? And what happens when you work with somebody like that? When you say to them, so you look at them and you say, I can do their job better. What happens to you? Your attitude shifts, right? You begin to look at them differently. You begin to think of them differently. Right? Like everything you say about them is sarcastic or snarky. Everything. You look at them and you disdain their, their very existence. You are like, I can't stand to work with this guy or girl. And you all, do, do you not all know what I'm talking about? Or are you all just kind of, all right, all right, so all right. So, so I am talking to real people in this room then. Because I've been there. When I feel like I can do a job better than somebody, every time they speak to me, I just roll my eyes. You know what I'm saying? You begin to just, be, you, you begin to feel that you can do better. You resent their very existence, their level of authority, and their paycheck. And this is what's happening to the son. He's resenting his father's ways. He's resenting all the work that he has put in. He's resenting having to wait. He doesn't want to be in that place. And so he does this horrible thing, stepping forward and saying, I want it now. I want my money now. I want my stuff now. He's bitter. He's angry. So the son here, it's not that his father hadn't provided for him. It's not that there was nothing to do on the family estate. He had a job. It's not that, there, that uh, there was anything the father was lacking, but you just kind of get the sense that the son just wanted 
to be his own master, to lead his own life. He felt he could do it better. And in some ways, this third attitude is a combination of the first ones, right? You want something now and you think you've earned it. You're tired of waiting for it. So you just want to forget God and do it all on your own. What this attitude forgets is that in the Christian life, living as an apprentice to a master or being a disciple of Jesus is much like being a slave. Paul uses this kind of language and he says that he is a slave for Christ, right? And so as an apprentice or a disciple, much like a slave, we resign all of our rights to make decisions, all claims to power, and we've surrendered to the leading of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We don't get to call the shots anymore. He does. He's the king. But here's one of the most fascinating things about God. Just like the father in the story, he'll let us make those statements and let us walk away. In my personal story, I made such a statement to God. When I was about 20 years old, I said, God, I'm done with your people. And if I'm done with your people, that means I'm done with you. And I walked away. Now, I'm not saying that God liked it that I said that. I'm not saying that that was his happiest day and that he smiled. Good, I am so done with you. Get out. You know what I'm saying? You moocher. It's not that he said that. It's that I had a sense of entitlement, that there was something different, something better. And when I say that I left, I did go. And I partied. I didn't go for long. And I came back. And just like in the story of the prodigal son, God was waiting there for me with open arms for the moment that I turned back. But God is the God who will let you walk away. He will let you choose him to be with him or choose to walk away. And a lot of us at one time or another, maybe even maybe you're here right now and you've walked away. Maybe you're here because somebody blackmailed you into being here today. They did you a favor and they looked at you and said, okay, if I do this for you, you've got to come to church with me. Or if we're going to date, you need to go to church with me. Okay, I know it. I know, I know some of you people out there. They, what do they call that? Uh, uh, evangelistic dating, right? You're going, to win, you're going to win somebody to Jesus by dating them and bringing them to church. <laughs> and so, so I, know some, I know some of you are here. You've left home and you're here and you hate being here. You don't, this, this, is not, this is the last place you want to be. But, but right now, some of us have made those statements to God and we have walked away. In the past, and maybe we've come back, or maybe you're still walking away. And you're not trying to tell God he's not number one in your life, but can't there be a close second? You're not trying to tell God that he was wrong about marriage, but don't you deserve to be a little happier? You know, we may not intend to tell God we wish he was dead, but that's exactly what we're saying when we walk away. And here's the truth. You know, we've all left the Father's house at one time or another. It's not so much a question of whether or not you left. It's not so much a question of what excuse you use to leave. It's much more of a question of whether or not you'll go back. Will you go back? Because the beginning of the story can give us a hint to the end of it. The story began in the Father's house. Nothing was lacking. Nothing was missing. Everything was provided. And the story could end there, too. It doesn't matter why you wanted to leave. What matters is whether or not you want to come back home. And that's what aha is all about. So maybe an aha is beginning for you today. Maybe you're the one that's walked away. So here's your sudden awakening. It's that sudden awakening, that brutal honesty. 
and that immediate action. Will you be willing to be honest with yourself and say, you know, I walked away from home, walked away from my father's house, but I need to come back. How do you come back? It starts with a simple prayer. It starts with repentance. You know what repentance means? Look, if I'm walking this way and my father's house is that way, repentance is a 180. I turn from the direction I was walking and I head back that way. What does that mean? It means in your everyday life and the ways that you were headed, turn away from them. Repent. That's how it begins. I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying you're not going to be perfect or that you're going to be perfect because you're not. I'm not. But that's your immediate action today. And so I wonder if there are those of you today that will begin. Let's pray. You know, some of you are here today and you say, you know what, Aaron, I've, I've never entered into relationship with, my, with the Heavenly Father, with God. But I hear what you're saying today and I, I want to be in a place where God is. I want to have Him in my heart and in my life. I desire that. And if that's you and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, today can be the day that you shift. You can have that aha moment. So if that's you and you're here and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, would you raise your hand and let me know that you're here? There's nobody looking around. Cool. Thank you for your hands. I appreciate that. You can put them down. And then if you're here and you've said, you know what, Aaron, I've been a Christian, but I've walked away. Maybe you grew up going to church. Maybe you remained faithful, but I don't know. At one point in time, you just decided you just a little bit of selfishness crept in. And the next thing you know, you're not at home anymore. You're far from home. And if that's you and you want to come back, would you raise your hand and let me know that you're here? Thank you for that honesty. And then there's those of you, you know what? You're, you're still at home, but these attitudes are creeping in. An attitude of, of uh, instant gratification. You know, I want it now. I'm tired of waiting. God, I, I serve at the church. God, I give to the church. I read my Bible every day. I deserve better. That's a dangerous attitude. A dangerous place to be. You become bitter. And you need to humble yourself today and let God be God in your life. If that's you, would you be willing to be honest? And raise your hand and say, that's me, so that I can pray for you. It's awesome. Thank you. For those of you who say, hey, I, I, Aaron, I'm beginning this today. What do I do? You pray a prayer. We're going to pray. Everybody in this room is going to pray out loud so that your own ears can hear. Because I don't think that anybody here needs to pray alone. You say, well, Aaron, I don't believe this prayer. That's okay. You can practice for the day that you do. So that when you get home and you're sitting by yourself, you know how to pray. It goes like this. Just repeat after me. Jesus. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you lived, died, and rose from the dead. All just for me. Show me how to live my life for you. And I'll spend every day doing just that. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pray for the rest of you. Father, I pray for those who have been honest and said, I've walked away, but I want to return. Repentance, that moment is easy. It's the immediate action. It's the continuing that action that is difficult afterwards. And so, God, I pray, 
I pray that as they begin in that action, as they head home, they don't head home with shame. That they don't head home with regrets. That as they turn their faces to you, God, that they would see that you are standing there waiting. Not only waiting, but running towards them with open arms to greet them. Just like the Father in our story. Lord, and as, as you embrace them, as you love them, and they receive your love, transform them. Father, I pray for all those that have said, hey, I've let attitudes come in, and they've been willing to admit, I need to humble myself. Lord, I pray that as they do, that you would bless them. Strengthen their relationship with you. Bless their devotion time. Bless their lives. Bless their relationships. Lord, may the love that they receive in humbly repenting, may the love that they receive from you flow through their lives to others and bless them. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd love for our services host to come at this time. Uh, they're, 